episode 242. Bonus edition, interview with Chrissy Beltran. Hi, I'm Steve Maletto from the Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educator's podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Welcome to the Always a Lesson summer interview series. I've asked some very special guests to bring their wisdom to you all throughout May, June, July, and August. Connecting you with other elite educators is one of my favorite parts of this job as a teacher leader and podcaster. The insight that you are going to gain from these conversations is going to prepare you to hit the ground running during the back-to-school season, but more importantly, it is going to reignite your passion and your potential as an educator. Are you ready to level up what you bring to the table and how you serve those you lead? Then buckle up and let's go. I'm excited for you to be a fly on the wall for this conversation today. It happens under very unique circumstances, and I'll get into that in a moment. But this is uh, someone I've come to know, and I'm excited for you to get to know her as well. Chrissy Beltran is a resource creator and a consultant for instructional coaches and elementary teachers in the area of literacy. She has 17 years of educational experience working with students and teachers in grades pre-K through 8, serving them through downloadable resources, online courses, and in-person workshops. Her podcast, Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, shares strategies and ideas with instructional coaches who are working towards growing their schools. I've come to know Chrissy and have worked alongside her for a while, and she brings a wealth of knowledge and inspiration to the field of education, and this episode is unlike no other. So let's just get into it. Hey, Chrissy, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Hey, Gretchen. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, we are going to dive into tons of things like leadership, literacy, and coaching, obviously. So I'm going to dive in, set the stage, tell everybody how our two paths have crossed. Well, you know, I was thinking back. I was trying to remember exactly how I first met you, and I'm pretty sure I got it right, but I'm really bad at this. So it's possible you may have to fix my story. <laughs> but I think it was whenever Nicole was looking for speakers for her um, or for presenters for her summit. Yes. So our friend Nicole Turner um, hosts the Simply Coaching uh, Summit every summer. That was her first big event mm-hmm. three years ago, I believe. And then she started to add other uh, versions of this throughout the year, shorter, you know, little mini conferences and stuff. So that first summer, three years ago, I think she approached us both at that time um, to do sessions. And I'm pretty sure that's how our paths crossed in the first place. Yeah, it was. Nicole Turner did bring us all together. Uh, She has been on this podcast, so I will link that episode. It's been awesome to work with you throughout the years and, you know, get to know you as a mama too. And you were so kind to have me on your podcast twice now, and I'll link those in the show notes too. But it's funny thinking about how we can all work together. So for example, Chrissy's got a little babe at home and I've got three. And so trying to work our schedules around them. And we live in different parts of the country. So the time zone situation. And now if y'all won't even believe this, she's about to have her second baby. She's in the hospital hoping to get through a few more weeks. And we were able to cram this in, even (laughs) though it's super busy at the hospital. Um, So I'm so thankful she is here. But this is mom life, who is a great educator, just wanting to serve any way she can. So we're just thankful that you decided to show up and, and chat with us. Well, sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I have a little, a little time, little downtime in here, and I'm, I'm able to do some work, but not all things yeah. I would be doing at home. Obviously, I can only bring so much paraphernalia into this hospital room <laughs> before they start looking at me. But, 
exactly is what I'm thinking. So I so mean, I can do a lot of things, but not everything. <laughs> and if COVID wasn't hard enough, just being isolated right. for how many weeks are you going? Are you in your third week there by yourself? Yes. Well, this is I've I've gone through three weeks. I'm working on four, three and a half right now. So yeah, Um, my husband fortunately is able to come visit. Um, They do allow him to visit for a couple hours a day. It's tricky because obviously he is, you know, solo parenting um, our daughter, our three-year-old. So he, they have allowed her to come up as well, but she can't come to the the actual room Mm -hmm. because of COVID. So we have to go down to a patio downstairs, which is fine because then I get to go outside and see some sun. Yeah, sure. um, (laughs) That's a a huge, you know, big difference. The first week I was trapped in a little tiny room by myself. They didn't let anybody in. They didn't let my daughter in. It was terrible. And now oh, at least I God. have a little, I have a window with some sunlight, even though, even though it's tinted. I'm like, can I rip that thing off? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm in a cave. But, um, but yeah, definitely that they can come up is really, has been a game changer in the last couple of weeks. This season of life for everybody for different reasons <laughs> yeah. is just so hard. Like, and it that is. doesn't even describe it. Saying hard doesn't describe it, but we will all look back and be like, how did we do this? Right. That's what I feel like I was looking back at my, you know, things that I wrote last year or things that I did with like our, our daughter last year. And I was remembering our mindset last March, whenever everything was shutting down mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my gosh, we're going to be trapped we're going to be stuck. And now I'm like, no, this is being trapped. Exactly. (laughs) I didn't think it could get worse. (laughs) Yeah. This is a whole other level. (laughs) Uh, But I'm glad you and the baby are healthy and safe. So this, if this is what needs to happen, uh, I'm just thankful you have the support system. You've got all those moms that come together and do the (laughs) coolest things socially distant. So I'm sure they're like giving meals and doing all the things. They have been. They've been wonderful. And so I can't, I mean, just like in coaching and teaching and anything, you need a community of people who understand what it is that you're doing every day. Yeah. And um, so I was so lucky to just kind of fall into this mom community of a group of about eight moms who just really support each other through whatever is going on. And so it's been it's been wonderful that they have reached out to us. And like you said, they've sent meals and dropped things off at the hospital. And, you know, I had one of them pick up an order for me somewhere and drop it off at my house because I knew my husband wasn't going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. So things like that have been so helpful. We truly can't do it alone. Well, let's start from the very beginning. What grade did you start teaching and what was the evolution to what you're doing today? Sure. I started teaching in fourth grade and this was back in the day where (laughs) whenever I was looking for a job, for whatever reason, there were tons of openings that year. I don't know if population boomed or what, but there, everybody was getting a job. So we were all a little cocky, right? And mm-hmm. so we were thinking, I, I remember went to several interviews and I, I got, um, I would get the call back saying that I, they would offer me the job. And I was like, I'm holding out for my dream school. <laughs> so I did held, held, held out for my dream school and I got it. And my dream school offered me first grade. And I was like, I'm not a huge first grade person. Do you have anything in upper elementary? <laughs> and they said, well, not at this time, but we will give you a call if we do. And I said, that'd be great. And then I waited for two weeks and thought I made the dumbest decision of my life. Oh, my God. And then they, uh, they called me back and had a fourth grade opening. And, and um, thank goodness. And I got it. So <laughs> I know. I know. Youth. So now you really can't do that. It's a different world. But you are um, so like great with all the little crafts. So I would definitely have put you in lower elementary. So it's funny that you didn't feel that connection right away. No, I was not a little people person. And I am barely becoming a little people person (laughs) now because I have a little person of my own. And, you know, I like that one a lot, but I don't think I want to teach 20 of them. It's Mm -hmm. it's never been my thing to teach a whole crowd of very small people. Um, But... (laughs) I do enjoy being in those classrooms. I just wouldn't want to do it 24-7, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think I could probably manage a preschool at, in my house if I had maybe five or six kids. I think that might be <laughs> Your fun, limit. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about my limit. Um, but I, I just really enjoy older older upper elementary students. I I love their sense of humor and yeah, their just their personalities and, and the people they're becoming at that time. And I also love the content. I love the kinds of things that you get to teach and what you get to talk about um, and the challenging kinds of things you can pose to them that they haven't really thought about before. And mm. they're, they have the maturity and the complexity of thought to do it. So that I, it so doesn't feel to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I taught fourth grade for eight years and then um, I taught third grade for a year and they were going to loop us back up to fourth grade. 
and um, third grade wasn't my favorite. I really did love fourth grade, and teaching third grade confirmed how much I love fourth grade. <laughs> 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 um, I did. It wasn't terrible, but it was not as I just. I just my heart is fourth is in fourth grade, mm-hmm. and um, so then I actually got a phone call from the parent of a student I had taught, or two students actually, a brother and sister I had taught years before. And this parent called me and said, you know, I'm working at this school um, in the Valley. It's a different part of town where I was working in. And we need a new instructional coach. But at this time, they call them school-wide project coordinators. This mm-hmm. was before the coaching was super defined. Yeah. Uh, my district. But um, she said, we need an instructional coach. We need, well, we need a school-wide project coordinator. And I, I can't think of anybody else who I think would have the energy to do this job, which that right there tells you like, that's a little red flag, right? Uh, yeah. Energy. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It's going to take a lot of energy to do something, but I was <laughs> curious, you know, and, and I, I knew this was a great person who believed in kids and, you know, I had worked with her own children and they were wonderful. And I thought, you know, I need to go and investigate this. And I went back and forth for a while because I wasn't really ready to leave the classroom, but I was, I had thought about going down that road at some point, in my career, I just didn't know that that was the point. <laughs> so I, um, I went to the interview. And during the interview, I talked about my students and how I was going to loop up with them. <laughs> and, you know, they ask you all the questions about your plans and how you would do this and what would this look like whenever you're a coach and how would you respond to this situation and what are your strengths in this academic area. And um, by the end of the interview, the principal told me, you know, I have to tell you that you are our first choice so far. I can I feel comfortable saying that at this point. And I started to cry uh, because I felt so guilty because I, I something was already telling me you have to go do this job. Mm. Um, and so I said, okay. <laughs> she handed me a box of Kleenex and told me a story about how she was moved from one school to another and she didn't think it was the right place for her, but there was a sign that told her it was. She's very good. She was a very good salesperson. Yeah, really. <laughs> She ended up being a great boss, too, but <laughs> and a good principal. But um, she was very good at what she did in that interview that day. And um, so I went back to my school and, you know, I, I figured, well, we'll see if I get the call and maybe somebody coming after me is going to be better suited because I'm not bilingual. Um, and I that's really a huge deal here in El Paso, Texas. The majority of people are bilingual. And we have in the district that I worked in was one of the largest ones in the city. Um, they the majority of classrooms were bilingual in elementary as well. And um, having a bilingual instructional coach is obviously a huge benefit to serving bilingual teachers and kids. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, if someone's bilingual, like if we have the exact same qualifications, but they're bilingual, then they're going to want that person because Mm -hmm. that would just be logical, right? Uh, But that didn't happen. (laughs) So so they called me up and offered me the job. And, um, you know, my principal actually gave me lots of reasons not to go and talked about how resistant the teachers were at that school and how they were entrenched in their practices and how they wouldn't change and all those things he was telling me. I came home and told my husband and my husband said, the funny thing is after all these years of working for him, he still doesn't know that He's him telling him. you that. <laughs> no, that would be terrible. The, the things he's telling you actually of the reason that you feel like you have to go. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And I cried and I cried and I cried all summer. And, mm. and we went on a cruise and I cried. And, and <laughs> But I did. I accepted it. And I'm glad that I did. Obviously, I wouldn't be where I am right this minute, literally, on the, <laughs> on yeah. the call with you. Yeah. If I had not accepted that position and I learned so much from it. And it was hard. It was hard work. And some teachers at that school, you know, were, were misrepresented in some of the... Um, uh, of the kind of like the bad news bears philosophy that people had about them, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad that I went because they deserved better than that. What so would you say I, is like the best lesson you learned from being a coach to those teachers and those kids in that building? If I think about, I learned so many things <laughs> and they're also different. Like they're the things you learned, like the heart things that you learned yeah. and the head things that you mm-hmm. learned. Um, I think I learned a lot, and I don't know, you know, sometimes we learn things too late or later than we would like, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot specifically about giving people the support they need and then pulling the support back. Mm. Tell me more um, about that. Yeah, I there were, so the school didn't have a lot of the best practices in place that the district had expected for years. And 
I thought those were kind of common knowledge because we'd all been going to the same workshops, right? Um, but you know how it is. You can go to a workshop, but if nobody follows up on it back at home, it doesn't happen. Got it. And um, so that that had been happening. But, you know, the school had been neglected by their administration, the previous administration, for a while. And so whenever you come into that situation, there's a lot of things that have to happen in order just to get the basics mm -hmm. in place. And that's a challenge. And not everybody wants to embrace basics, even though, even if they're commonly done elsewhere, it feels like they cannot work here, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was a big challenge. And so it required a lot of support. But, and, and I'm good at support. I'm not as good at pulling back support. That's not my natural thing. Right. And so I had to really get, I really had to learn a lot about when is the moment, like how much do you give? How much, like kind of like the head, hands and heart that Joelle yep. and Killian talked yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, you know, how much do you give and how much do you wait? And how much do you, like at what point is the balance tipping where the teacher says, I can take that on. I need you for this now. This is something different that I need you. For. I don't don't do this for me anymore, or don't do, don't provide me with this anymore. I feel comfortable enough to take that on myself, and now you can support me in a different area. And so I really had to learn a lot about that, finding those moments where teachers were ready. They had embraced something, and we could move on to something different because they were ready to go. And I feel like in the classroom, I'm very naturally able to do that with yeah. children. Um, and adults are so different <laughs> than kids as far as that. I mean, it's the same idea, but the way that we interact is so different that um, it can be difficult to spot the moment. <laughs> Did it take a whole year or so to just get them to where they should have been? I say or so. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. well, but it depends. I mean, some teachers were great. Some teachers just needed some refinement. Some teachers just needed some structure. Some teachers were excellent and doing great job, you know, and, and fighting an uphill battle, truly. Yeah. Um, and some teachers needed a lot of support and they needed the foundation that they had not gotten at any point. And, and so everybody, you know, like we talk about learning curves, everybody is in a different place. And um, I mean, I was on a learning curve with my coaching work. If I had been in a different place, maybe we would have moved faster, right? Um, I was new to coaching. I hadn't really experienced it much as a teacher. We yeah. had a, a, a support person, but they focused on very specific things and very specific grade levels. Mm -hmm. My role, we, they were like, you guys are fine. You'll be okay. You figure it out. You, you work well together. Right. We, we don't work about you. So we really didn't get that kind of coaching support. So I hadn't seen it much from that end. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was, I say it all the time. I was building the plane as I flew it. Yeah. So, I resonate <laughs> with that. Like, sadly, I resonate with that. <laughs> right. I think many of us do that we were put into this role and we have these good intentions and we actually have no clue what's going mm -hmm. on. Right? Doing our best, figuring it out. Yep. Asking questions and not always getting the answers and, um, and not always getting the support that we could benefit from, you know. So I learned a lot about that, but I, I did. It did take time. Absolutely. To get teachers um, the support that they needed and to kind of start to do some alignment of what we believed was important as a school. Mm. So do we really believe kids need to read every day? Well then show me on your schedule, show me in your uh, class. Yeah. Let me see you in classroom library. These things have to be, these things have to be acted out. We can't just say we believe them. Right. If we believe kids need to read, then we create the opportunity for kids to read. If we believe reading needs to be purposeful, we create opportunities for purposeful reading. So that, those kinds of things take honestly, in some situations, years um, to develop because it is a philosophy shift. It's, it's changing the way people, what they believe about learning. And if you've been teaching for any length of time and no one has ever questioned what you believe about learning, then it might be really hard to change. <laughs> yeah. Were you brought in just to focus on literacy or did you do everything but you just have a love of literacy? I was focusing on literacy. Okay. Um, I did, you know, we had a specific grade level that we would kind of kind of support across different areas. Mm -hmm. Each of us took on one one grade level as our like our little buddy, but um, in the leadership role. But it, specifically, I was a literacy coach Got at it. that time. You were mentioning a little bit ago that some educators were great. They they were the ones that didn't need as many touch points. If you were to give me a characteristic of these groups of people, like when you say someone is great, an educator is great, mm -hmm. what does that mean so that others could try and hone their craft to be more like that? You know, it's, I was thinking about this, and it's 
there are certain, you know, qualities maybe that they shared or things that they did that were good. But I think what really makes a great educator is they have this purpose for their work and they know they know what their vision is of what a student who is successful is going to be. So mm. they look at their kids and they say, this is where we are and this is where I want you to be. And so what happens when you don't have that vision is people will throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You know, they, they get, they learn something new and then they dump everything they ever did before. Um, I see it happen a lot in literacy. I mean, the pendulum shifts all the time, right? Swings from one side to the other. And a really great educator has this true vision and purpose for what they want for each child. And it might be different for different children because we have to be responsive. First of all, the children are different people. And we also have to know real, like set realistic goals with those children. And I mean, it's beyond goal setting, of course, but just having an idea of where you want kids to be and what that vision for them could look like. I feel like that's what really supports quality education. Yeah. I want to ask you to take a second and really hone in for a piece of advice. We have a bunch of types of educators listening. Some are new, some are transitioning to a different role or maybe in distress of, you know, this pandemic situation. And then they've got, we've got folks like us, teacher leaders. So if you were to pick one of those groups of teachers to speak to and give a piece of advice directly to them, who would you pick and what would you tell them? Sure. I, I thought about this, too. And I feel like right now I can speak best to teacher leaders. Um, and But it's really kind of the same. It's a similar idea to what I was just talking about, that we have to know what really matters and and really focus our work on that sort of thing. So it's really easy to go into a school and have a checklist and be like, oh, this is not in place and this is not in place, but this is and this is. And you're kind of like going by the book. And that can be. I mean, there are certain things that we would like to happen and certain things that obviously we would not like to see very much, but you have to know what your vision for your teachers actually is. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about what matters most, we want teachers who are reflective and who can change the way that they do things when they see that they need to. They can be responsive. And I I learned the hard way (laughs) that reflection doesn't come naturally to everybody. Mm. Um, that they, maybe that's another one of the things that I really learned that first year and second and third (laughs) is that reflection is not something that all teachers just do. Um, and that can seem like a foreign idea because it seems very natural in the middle of a lesson to look around and say, this is not working. I have an idea. I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to change something. But many people don't do it. It's like there's too much information in the moment and different people think differently. So some people are very plan oriented and, you know, it just kind of depends on how their brain is functioning and um, in, in what way they take in information and how much information they take in and what they do with it. So that I have found is if we can really focus on that one thing that matters so much, growing a teacher's reflective skills and thought processes, we can change the teacher's thinking forever. Right. And not just because, oh, well, I know I'm supposed to do word study for 20 minutes a day. Okay, that's fine. But what do you do with it? What do you do with any of your time ever? If you teach a different subject, that word study is not going to probably be as relevant to you. But if I can teach you how to think mm-hmm. and how to take in information and respond to it, and help you learn about the thought processes that are going on in your brains and in children's brains, then I can change every kid you ever come into contact with. It which kind is of, tons of kids. Yeah, it reminds me of what you were saying before about PD, like going to a conference and coming back and doing nothing with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe teachers do reflect, but are you actually going to take action on mm-hmm. the reflection? And that's the gap where we're just mm-hmm. not seeing any change or shift Um, or even making time to reflect. I've got to really agree with you there. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think so many people are so uh, tied up with getting things done and marking them off their their schedule and their list for the day that we're not thinking about, well, was that effective? Also, I feel like, and I don't know if this is an American thing or if this is a worldwide thing, but for some reason... People feel like whenever they change their plan, it means they were wrong before. Mm. So if I learn a new thing, and it doesn't seem to matter what it's about, because, I mean, even 
uh, you hear people speaking on the news all the time where they, they are in absolute denial about new information, right? <laughs> so <laughs> whenever you learn something new, it's okay to change your mind. And that's actually called learning, right? That's a good thing to do. If you get a new piece of information, we should evaluate what we were thinking. And if we don't change our thinking, I mean, maybe there's, there's, there could be a reason for that. But if you're never modifying the way that you're seeing things based on new information, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that's almost people feel like they have to be ashamed when something didn't work out and they changed it. But it's more shameful when something doesn't work out and you keep doing it. Well, that's why culture is important, because if we're not Mm -hmm. preaching that or making it a safe space to uh, to pivot, to turn directions, to admit this isn't working. Mm -hmm. um, And like we were talking before, making time to even have those conversations or thought processes you know, then it's never going to happen and it's going to continue being shameful. So Mm -hmm. us as leaders, whether we have the principal title or not, need to figure out how we make, how we model this, how we make it okay to, to change direction and be responsive to what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Um, And, and that takes a lot of uh, so much modeling time, like more than just modeling, it's explicit modeling in which we say, look, this is what I'm doing. Mm hmm. Because I feel like sometimes we expect that people are going to learn the way that we do. Well, not sometimes, all the time. We think that's going to happen. It never yeah, does. Right. <laughs> it doesn't ever work out. And so if someone models something in front of me, I, I naturally, um, I think, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can do that now. Mm-hmm. But for many people, it has to be said, look, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. And this is why I'm doing it. Can you try that? Mm-hmm. And if we don't build that bridge to from, you know, where we're thinking to what they're thinking <laughs> right from our brain to their brain just like with children I mean people are we are all human beings and we all have to be told things explicitly sometimes and um, so I think that that's sometimes a missing piece is that we're a little bit afraid to get out there and say hey try this look listen to how I'm thinking about this and now you try it out mm-hmm. and um Without that, a lot of people don't try it out, or they don't even realize that's something they could try out. Right. Yeah. And speaking of trying out, uh, who's helping you kind of hone your craft? Do you have a mentor? Do you learn from a specific person or people? Um, How do you keep growing yourself? You know, I do. I spend a lot of time um, reading, and I do listen to um, audio books more than read papers, just because I have have more time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the books that I tend to enjoy the most, like as far as coaching books, I do, I've learned a lot from Elena Aguilar and I yeah. really enjoy her books. Um, I was fortunate enough actually to interview her for my podcast and we talked about her new book, Coaching for Equity. Well, it was, it was new at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so right now I'm actually working on Onward um, and I just feel like her approach to coaching, while it doesn't necessarily match my the way that I coach 100 percent or mm-hmm. anything. I mean, I don't know that anybody does. Right. Um, it's there's so much in there in her resources that I haven't found in other coaching resources. Yeah. And sometimes it's a lot to process and a lot to think about and hard to figure out what would this look like for me. But mm-hmm. I think I, that's what I enjoy about it is it's um, is it's more challenging. Many coaching resources I feel like I can scan through and get the gist of, and okay, right. now I kind of can see where you're headed with this. Right, yeah. But with her sources are so dense that they really require some thought to process, and I feel like that's, the challenge of that is, is really interesting. And you could almost reread some of her stu- things and, and say, okay, I have grown since the last time I've read this book. I've implemented it. Let me read it from a new perspective and a new lens and glean something else from it. And you could almost do that a couple of rounds until you really felt like you've gotten, you, you squeezed all the juice out of what she had to say. I completely agree with that because I think about like even as a teacher, and the population that I work with and in. And then I think about whenever I moved to, a co- to be a coach and how different that population was of teachers and of students. Um, I mean, demographically, in a lot of ways, they look the same on paper, but they were not. And um, then I, you know, now that I serve people across the country um, in all different places, what does that work look like now? And so I think um, 
I really like that she takes into consideration that people are made up of so many things and cultural elements and, you know, racial elements. All of those are part of who they are. Mm -hmm. And we have to consider those things as we work with people. So I think that's that is a good point, because not only, you know, at a different point in your life, would you see it differently, but maybe even like a different region or a different location or a different group of people. Um, this work can have different meaning to you. So besides books, what else do you turn to? I mean, we talked a little bit about the summit at the beginning of this mm -hmm. episode. How else do you just learn and grow and stay current? I know in education, something's always in, something's always out. So how are you making sure you're um, up to date on all that? I do spend a lot of time. Um, so for, for the coffee and coaching membership that, that I have with Nicole Turner, we provide uh, monthly professional developments. And what I really enjoy is one of those PDs every month is an interview. And so I get to interview people and I do this on the podcast as well, but I get to interview people and talk to them about coaching and they get to tell me all of the stuff they know, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. And so you get to hear it from the horse's mouth and ask the questions that you want to know. And then you reflect and it's beautiful because I can, they're, they're so, so many, I mean, obviously they're coaches, right? So they are naturally predisposed to letting you reflect in real time during an interview. Right. <laughs> and so it's, it's so nice that I can say, well, I'm hearing you say this and it's making me think about this. And, and so I can really kind of like process that information. So I love to hear directly from coaches that are like like experts in their field. Um, that's a beautiful thing. And I enjoy it so much because you know, we focus on a topic and we get to kind of dig into that topic. I also really enjoy talking to coaches who are actually still on campuses and talking to them about what their work is looking like, um, the reality of their work. Because I feel like sometimes we can get really hung up on the best practices coming from experts and then we talk to a coach who's on the campus and they say, yeah, but my job doesn't do that. We don't do that. That just looks nothing like my actual job and what I'm being asked to do. And that I find really interesting. So I do have several coaches that I talk to frequently and I just, I'm like, tell me your problems. Yeah, really. <laughs> and, and I just enjoy that so much because I can use that to frame the stuff that I'm learning, mm -hmm. you know, from the experts in a real actual school setting, you know, that I, that I, I used to work at some of these schools, you know, so I, I can bridge those, those two things. And I feel like it helps keep it real a little bit. Um, because it can be very easy to be pie in the sky and say things like, well, you know, sometimes people promote the coaching model where they're like, well, you just coach the ones who are looking to seek you out. And then the other, the other teachers, you just kind of, um, continue building relationships, but don't, principals the majority of time are not down with that yeah so that's and then if that's written in your job description much like my job description was written pretty specifically over time to include coaching teachers who did not want to be coached yeah exactly you know then how do you do that you know so I feel like I try to take the best practices that are being shared and then I try to take the reality that's being shared from colleagues that, that are still on campuses and then you can build little bridges and try to say, okay, how can this best practice inform the real work that's happening on a campus? Yeah, totally. And I know you do so many things. You were just mentioning podcast and your membership. What other current projects do you have? I know you consult a little bit. I mean, obviously you're about to have a baby. Um, <laughs> biggest project. That right is now. the biggest project. <laughs> so tell us all yeah. about Buzzing with Miss B and everything that you offer to support teachers and coaches. Oh, sure. Okay. So I, um, right now my, the biggest thing that I'm working on that is kind of an ongoing project is the coffee and coaching membership that I just mentioned. Um, and so we, Nicole and I, um, a few couple, a year ago, a little over a year ago, we were talking about how instructional coaches don't have the support that they need. And I think, you know, we mentioned that a few minutes ago that, that we've all felt like we just have to figure stuff out on our own mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you're making things up as you go and hoping you're doing the best. And then you look back and go, well, that was a huge mistake, right. <laughs> you know, and some guidance would be nice and some community would be helpful. Um, we struggle with feelings of isolation and loneliness and being the only person on our campus with our exact role. And so um, we were talking about that and Nicole said, what if we did an online membership for instructional coaches? 
in order to give them the community that they need and this, you know, problem solving space and also to give them the professional development that could help them figure out what they could do on their campuses to support their teachers. And I love that idea. And so we, we it's been a little over a year that we've had our membership. And so we are every month we provide professional developments. One of them is actually a PD that's from either Nicole or myself. We prepare it and then we deliver together. And then the other one is an interview with an expert in the field. And we also do um, a group coaching call in Facebook. We call it Coffee Talk. And we have some other things that go on every month. So right now we're working on the content for the next few months over the summer because is I like I said you know like you mentioned I have a baby so <laughs> so a little bit at least um try to give myself a maternity leave there and so we're trying to have that sort of socked away and so some of the things that we're talking about are like what are the first 20 days of school like for coaches um in order to make sure that you are really setting a strong foundation for um for your school year so that way people can kind of be prepared to start the year instead of starting the year and going oh shoot I missed all these opportunities right <laughs> And then um, we're going to share some of our fam- favorite professional development books for coaches over the summer. We've got a few different um, sessions coming up that are that are pretty fun. We just had um, this last month was all about, or actually this current month that we're recording in, in March, is all about differentiation in coaching and what that can look like. So we have a different topic every month, and that's I just really enjoy that because it gives us time to kind of dig into something new and expose people to different ideas and ourselves as well. So that's the big current project, um, but I also have a, a course for literacy coaches, a confident literacy coach, and that course will be coming out again probably in June, early June, I think. Um, I will be making that available, open up to everybody who would like to um, join that course, and it really walks you through everything you need in order to have a good, stable you know, approach to literacy coaching. It has best practices in reading and writing. It talks about how to support groups of teachers as well as individual teachers. It has modules on um, establishing yourself as a coach and like establishing your credibility. So it's like a start to finish um, course. So that's a big one that's going to be coming up open again probably in June. This is so amazing. We didn't have any of this. No. We <laughs> and I think that's why we're so obsessed with making it because we're like, we had to learn all this stuff the hard way. We want to save people a little bit of that struggle. Struggle is good to learn. It's good to learn things because you've had to figure them out. But you don't want to have to learn everything through struggle. <laughs> right. Gosh, it's so amazing. I'm so glad you're providing all that specific support and best practices of coaching and then with a literacy focus and creating communities for people to do it together because I was the only coach uh, at a school and that made me feel like the Lone Ranger and you're not quite fitting in with the teachers or the admin team. And so if I could have had this group who got it and I could talk, you know, the silly stories of the day or the challenges, it just would have made things so much better. So thank you for creating that space for educators. Sure. Yeah. It's, I find a lot of meaning in it because I know how needed it is Yeah, and how hard it is when you're on your own. (laughs) So true. I want to give you a second to brag on yourself and I have to tell you, (laughs) it feels weird to do it, but it's a way for someone else to see themselves in your story and dream big and imagine what they could be doing. So pick either a teacher moment or a leadership moment where you just felt like this is my all-star moment right here and tell (laughs) us all about it so we can beg, borrow and steal it. You know, it's it's funny because the principle of the moment, it's a teacher moment, but the principle of the moment, it applies in coaching as well. <laughs> and the if I think about like all-star moments, of course, like you're saying, it's hard to do, right? It's not any, a phrase I would ever use to describe myself. <laughs> Let me just tell you about <laughs> how great I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, to me, the me, the moments that were the most meaningful, that I felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing here were the ones where the kids who nobody thought were going to do anything and the kids didn't think they were going to do anything, um, whenever those kids were successful because they decided that they were going to believe that they could do something different. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of those kids. By the time they get to fourth grade, lots of kids have been disillusioned um, about school they have been treated badly by peers and by teachers. 
they have failed a lot and been told that they are failing a lot. They have not been, the school hasn't lived up to what they thought. <laughs> um, and a lot of kids have a lot of trauma at home too. And so it's, it's just an uphill, uphill battle for these kids. And it can be really hard to get them to believe that they can do something. Um, that they don't have to feel that way and that they, that you have the faith in them. You have to like give them your faith, right? Um, because they don't have it and they have not ever seen a reason to have it. Right. So those are the kids that, that get me the most. So it was hard for me to choose a moment because the, I mean, I did, but it was hard for me to do that because those changes take place over time, like so gradually. Um, and it's just like, blood, sweat, and tears. Yes. (laughs) It's like excruciating months of constant support and patience and just, just showing them that things can be different and that they can try and that you are there to help them. And if they don't get it right, it's okay because you're going to still, you're still going to be there when things don't work out. But I did think of an example of a student that I, that where you could kind of see that playing out. Do I need to get my tissues? (laughs) I feel like I'm on the verge of about to cry. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how much of a crier you are. I'm a big crier, um, <laughs> big time. So we used to do uh, reader's theater frequently in my classroom, and um, we just did it. We just performed it for our own class. We didn't like you know go on the road or anything. And we'd sit in, <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, in a big circle, and we'd record it on a tape player, a tape player. Okay, this was a while ago, <laughs> and we would um, play it back. And everybody would give, like, okay, this is one thing I think we did well. This is one thing I think we could work on for next time. And I would write the scripts myself. I, you know, I enjoy doing that. So one month, it's not my favorite book, but The Giving Tree was our school book of the month. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not my favorite book because I think that boy is just the worst. Yeah. And I have a real problem with him. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, that was our book of the month. So you go with it, right? I mean, what can you do? And then, I mean, the kids have their opinions as well. And I wrote a reader's theater based on that book so that we could perform it in our classrooms. And I had a student who was not a happy camper at school. Um, and he was, he had a lot of trauma at home and he was often aggressive and anxious and just, just not, it, school was not his happy place, but home wasn't either. Um, so it was, it was a tough year for him. And I would hand out parts randomly some of them were, were more challenging than others, but kids had opportunities to practice. And I believed, I believed in rising to the expectation, you know, so I was like, okay, let's, I hand these parts out randomly. And if you get a tricky part, we'll practice. You'll be fine. You can do it. So that's what, what I did. I handed him out randomly and he got the part of the tree. And when I handed it to him, I almost, I didn't pull it back. I didn't pull it back because I didn't think he could do it. But I almost pulled it back because I thought he's going to lose it. Right. He's not going to want to be the tree. Right. He's going to want to be something where he says as little as possible and, you know, doesn't have a, a starring role in this, this play. And he didn't complain. And I was surprised. In that moment, I was like, okay, let's just all be real quiet and <laughs> just wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't complain. And that week, they would have a few minutes to practice, a little bit of time to practice every single day. But he had to have practiced at home on top of that because he he knew the whole thing. Whenever he came, the day that we performed it, we got to his lines and I'm sitting there crossing my fingers and hoping he's not just going to explode, you know. And he actually, he, he read the lines and he read them in a voice. He did a character voice. Oh. For the tree. And it was like this high, like a grandma voice, <laughs> like a nurturing grandma voice. Um, and it just, it really got me because I had not expected that at all because he had not ever wanted to participate in anything like that. And so that moment I was, I, I was so proud of him because he tried something, he put himself out there, um, and he, he did really well, but mostly he tried and I was just, I didn't, I didn't want to congratulate him too much in front of everybody else because then you kind of you kind of ruin it. (laughs) Um, but in that moment, like he showed himself that he could do something different and he could be something different. And if he, if he tried that he could accomplish something special and all the other kids that their eyes, as soon as he started reading, their eyes went to my face. Yeah. Like Like, what's her reaction? Yes. And I was like, you know, 
I just was astounded, and they were too. And they were so they were so praiseworthy of him. Like they oh. they really they were so proud of him. What a cool moment! So, that was a good one, and it makes me think about teachers as well who have had those moments, who have who fight you every step of the way differently than the kids, but sometimes not all that different. And, um, those teachers who don't want to try something because they are afraid to fail and because they feel like they have finally figured out something that works for them, that is manageable, that they can understand. And so they don't want to, they don't want to give up anything of that. And, um, you're the enemy (laughs) making them learn something new. And, those teachers often react in the same way that they shut down and they don't want to participate and they don't want to hear about what they could do. And they're not interested in those coaching conversations where you challenge the thinking and you have had those same experiences with teachers that they have tried something. And in the moment when they try something, you're like, Oh my God, you want to to praise the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, you do, you can be joyful and celebrate with them, but it's, it's, just that moment where you say, oh my gosh, maybe we're on the road. Maybe we're on the road. Finally, I think I've gotten into the path. <laughs> like mm-hmm. maybe they're excited to try something new. And it took so much relationship building and, and just, and belief. And sometimes it's hard. It was easier for me to find it with children than it is with adults, honestly. Um, with kids, I, I have no issue with believing that things can be different tomorrow. But with adults, sometimes it's hard for me to believe that. And so I really had to work on that. Um, to believe that tomorrow is a whole is a whole new day, and we'll just see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. But whenever we keep doing that, and we keep coming back and going back to whatever reserves we have, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, to find the patience and find the faith, we can give, we can share our faith with the teachers, and teachers can come around just like the kids. That's the best. Gosh, I got little goosebumps. (laughs) Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I'm actually shocked. We haven't had any hospital interruptions, so this is great. (laughs) It was was one quick one, but somebody just popped their head in and emptied the trash and then waved and left. Okay, good, 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 good. Well, I just want to ask you, how do you reignite your passion and potential as an educator? Sure. You know, I was, I kind of mentioned it before. Um, I'm a my natural thing, I'm a problem solver. I love to solve problems. It's ridiculous. It's my husband does not appreciate how lucky he is. <laughs> I'm a problem solver. He's like, Oh my gosh, honey, can you just please stop? But I, whenever I need to be re-energized, I know it sounds weird, but I will call up coaching friends and ask them about their problems <laughs> because hearing the struggles and challenges that they're having and talking through what's going on, what the situation is and figuring out some things they can do. It always gives me ideas or new questions to think about or thoughts on a strategy that would be helpful. And that is when I have, am most motivated is, and, and excited is whenever I have a new idea, something new to think about. So finding people who I can have ideas to solve problems with (laughs) that has been the best thing. And that's about that community, that coaching community. You know, I, I turn back to it all the time. And that's your outlet, you know, having a place to go to, to use that creative part of your brain is essentially, you know, what you're doing. Yes, exactly. And it is a creative, it absolutely is a creative process. And I feel like sometimes people think that they are not, they don't realize how creative teaching and coaching is, but it is, absolutely about figuring out new ways to do things and if that isn't creative then what is I mean, exactly. we are constantly pushing for this didn't work I have tried seven different ways but I've got to think of seven new ones <laughs> <laughs> so you know we that 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 part of your brain needs problems I feel like necessity is the mother of invention and so it needs it needs problems to to work on it needs things to figure out and um, that's how I keep myself motivated is I ask people, what, sh- what do we need to figure out? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exhausting to me. I'm glad that works for you. I'm glad you found your flow. <laughs> well, what do you do? That's, do you read or do you, do you go on Twitter? Oh, uh, let's see. I, I agree with you that talking to people, um, specifically educators, helps me get excited, but in a way that I'm not carrying the burden and the stress of it. Right. Exactly. Um Solving other people's problems is also easier because you're not emotionally tied to it. So I, I guess I can see what you're saying. Um, 
about it just requires a lot of brain energy that I don't have a lot of that these days. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I'm sure in a few months I'm going to be like, keep your problems to yourself. Exactly. Have my <laughs> exactly. Well, on behalf of Elite Educators Everywhere, thank you so much for your time tonight. Tell us where can we connect with you to learn more? Awesome. Um, you can find me at buzzingwithmissb.com. You can listen to the coaching podcast, Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And um, on all the social medias, I am at Buzzing with Miss B. And we'll link anything you've mentioned in this episode um, here so everyone can find you and find things you've recommended that we've been talking about because you have made some great suggestions. So thank you again. And we're wishing you a few more safe weeks with the baby. But we are cheering you on from here and lots of hugs. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And yes, we're going to try to hang in there. <laughs> Keep her cooking for a little while. <laughs> That's right. All right. We'll see you on the flip side. All right. Thanks. Well, Elite Educators, I hope you were empowered by Chrissy's message and learned a lot from her own journey from being a leader and being led and how she continues to learn and grow on her own through reading and creating that community because these are all things you can do. You don't have to wait to have a title to lead anybody. You don't have to wait until someone tells you to go to a conference or tells you you need to work on this skill. You can direct your own path. You can decide what it is you want, what it is you need to learn and grow and be an advocate for those things and go out and get them. And the best part of the story is when she was listening to where she's being led to go. She didn't want to leave her safety net. She didn't want to necessarily go to the school that was going to give her the opportunity. And so I don't want you to ever close doors because whatever the new opportunity is wrapped up in isn't as pretty and exciting as what you had wanted because it usually leads to something much bigger and better in the end. And sometimes you have to go through those awkward, weird stages and they end up being the best lessons and the best part of the journey anyway. So embrace whatever comes your way. Chrissy, if you're listening, thank you so much for sharing your story and for taking so much time away from being in the hospital with your almost new baby to speak with us and share all your gifts and talents. We totally appreciate you. And it's been great working alongside you all these years. And I hope there's many more of those to come. Y'all make sure you go to alwayslisten.com, click on podcast, find this episode. Everything Chrissy's talked about is linked there. You'll be able to go ahead and upgrade your effectiveness by going around to all the places she just sent you to, whether it's the books and the podcasts and the conferences and just all the opportunities to expand your own knowledge base. Um, she, she gave you lots of great suggestions, so please take her up on that and reach out to her follower on social media. She is going to be another great collaborator in and education. And we talk about creating your own PLN and she's someone that should be in yours. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Chrissy Beltron. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.